It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search it out is the glory of kings. This is the Message to Kings podcast. Episode 289, The Finger of God. The scene where the Pharisees accuse Jesus of casting out spirits by Beelzebub is in each of the Gospels. Each gives a different perspective, and we've merged them all here together. The importance of this scene sees the end of Jesus preaching in synagogues, and mostly the Galilee cities, and the start of the mountaintop and country preaching in Galilee, and the start of the parables. It's basically almost like what's coming is a ministry of Jesus part two. And all the more reason for the anointing in the previous episode. A season of greater ministry was coming with a greater focus on deep teaching and discipleship. Jesus can do the miracles, but all the better could his disciples as well. The location is unknown, but there's masses of people. Jesus is ministering nonstop. There's a zeal in the crowd, but whispers of discontent by the rulers were everywhere. Picture it as the devil spreading lies everywhere he could. Some were catching the devil's lies, the Pharisees, even Jesus' family. But the masses, they weren't listening. They were enthralled and they were zealous to touch him, nearly crushing him due to the Holy Spirit's pull on eager hearts. Mark 3.20 Then the multitude came together, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. Matthew 12.22 Then one was brought to him who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and he healed them so that the blind and mute man both spoke and saw. Think about this. He was deaf and mute. Well, I mean, that's a miracle. God opened the eyes and the ears, the eye and ear gates to the mind. And to think it was a demon that made him blind and mute. And Jesus knew this and he took care of it like it was no issue. You know, he didn't pray for his healing, which I thought was fascinating. You know, he didn't pray for the the blind man to see or the mute aspect uh, for for his ears to open up. No, he cast out the demon. Then the healing came. Imagine the bomb in the spirit when this happens. The devil must have been enraged and and powerless, actually. All he could do was lie and stir up some wicked men to do wicked things. Matthew 12, 23. All the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? Now, when the Pharisees heard it, they said, this fellow does not cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. What made the Pharisees mad was not the miracle. Not the teaching or the preaching, but the words of the people. Could this be the Messiah, the son of David? Then they got irate. We have to get to the heart of the matter, right? So, you know, everything that comes after this is just their excuses, um, their issues of court or the issues of law, breaking the law or, you know, just their lies. The reality is they didn't want, they don't accept him that he was the Messiah, What comes next is just accusation after accusation because the root issue, they denied or refused to admit he was the Messiah. They said Jesus cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. 
All right, I've heard of weird stories where witch doctors or occultists conduct healings and do dark stuff, basically commanding a lesser torment to leave a person, only to find out later the person will have a greater torment later. Those who run to darkness receive darkness. This is kind of where, you know, they're going. Sure, a demon can cast out a demon, but really? Is that what's really going on? No. <laughs> Regarding the reference to Beelzebub, here's what I found on the Got Questions website. Beelzebub is the Greek form of the word Baalzebub, a pagan Philistine god worshipped in the ancient Philistine city of Ekron during the Old Testament times. It is a term signifying the Lord of Flies, 2 Kings 1-2. Archaeological excavations in ancient Philistine cities have uncovered golden images of flies. After the time of the Philistines, the Jews changed the name to Beelzebul, as used in the Greek New Testament, meaning the word Lord of Dung. This name referenced the god of the fly that was worshipped to obtain deliverance from the injuries of that insect. Some biblical scholars believe Beelzebub was also known as the god of filth, which later became a name of bitter scorn in the mouth of the Pharisees. As a result, Beelzebub was a particularly contemptible deity, and his name was used by the Jews as an epithet for Satan. So these Pharisees are accusing Jesus of being an occultist, a Satan worshiper, or a sorcerer. It's stupidity at its fullest. Luke eleven sixteen, Others testing him sought from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? Because you say I cast out demons by Beelzebub, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. And when a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him, he takes from him all his armor in which he had trusted and divides his spoils. He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Jesus answers with great great wisdom here. I love the reference to the finger of God from Exodus 8.16 and Deuteronomy 9.10. Ever seen the documentary, The Finger of God? It's pretty amazing. And it speaks of modern day miracles. Matthew twelve thirty one. Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the son of man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. So the Father is above all, the loving Father, yet the judge of the earth. Jesus is fully God and fully man, and he fully forgives even on the cross, and he brings salvation. But the Holy Spirit is the nameless one who always points to Jesus. And if we ignore and curse the Spirit, who will lead us to Jesus and forgiveness? These Pharisees are literally at the moment denying the work of the Spirit and cursing it by saying it's from the devil. This is the danger of throwing out the Spirit and the power of God in our teachings. If we're doing this, we're ignoring the power of the Spirit that draws us closer to Jesus. 
If we deny the Spirit, we'll also be denying the power of conviction of sin and the pull on our hearts to come to Jesus, to come to the cross, to come to salvation, to be completely obedient to Christ and His ways, and to walk fully in the power of God. This is a sin I never want to commit. Ephesians 4.30 And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Mark 3.28 Assuredly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven, the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they may utter. But he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is subject to eternal condemnation, because they said he has an unclean spirit. Never call evil good and good evil. Now we arrive where Jesus gets, let's just say, frustrated with the Pharisees. There is even the use of an exclamation point in Matthew 12, 34. And it generally means something or someone is really upset and probably yelling. Or it's there to express the power of language in the moment. Matthew 12, 33. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers! Exclamation point. How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good things. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure, brings forth evil things. But I say to you that every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. And for by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. How about a verse for the fear of the Lord, right? I mean, by your words, you'll be judged. I I think that means at the judgment seat, your own words will be restated to bless you or condemn you. The idle word part of this is terrifying as well. Watch what you say, and out of your mouth will come blessings and curses. And you know, Proverbs 18.21, Life and death are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. Matthew 12, 38. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Jesus, we want to see a sign from you. Isn't this stupid, right? Like, they don't accept him, and they say he's doing miracles by the devil. Now they want a sign. Was not the miracle enough for you? Really? Is not the deaf and the mute healing enough for you? Like, seriously, Jesus will instead blow everyone's mind. And with the gift of prophecy, with something that absolutely makes no sense until after he's dead and raised from, raised from the dead. And, and no sense at all. N- no scholar, no student, nobody at that time would have had a clue what he was saying. And then he goes on to condemn them for wickedness. And Jesus really, really is not happy with the Pharisees. And to declare his miracles were because he was the, working with the devil was one of the worst things he could have said. Matthew twelve thirty nine. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The man of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation to condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. 
For more on the men of Nineveh, go back and listen to the Jonah episode. And there's a, there's a lot there. For more on the Queen of the South, go back and listen to the Queen of Sheba episode. And just to add to it, you know, Jesus so thoroughly rebukes the wicked leaders of this time that he went so far as to point wicked national foreign leaders out that actually became saved after they were repented and came to the knowledge of God. Wicked leaders which felt the pull of the Holy Spirit. And in the case of Nineveh, they repented at the teaching of Jonah. And the Queen of Sheba, who was marveled at the Spirit working through Solomon, that she gave her commitment to the God of Israel. Now we kind of get to this unusual moment where it's almost like demonology 101. It's really odd. Um, Now we kind of learn... You know, a lot about exorcism from Jesus' rebuke of these guys. So it's kind of wild next. So Matthew twelve forty three, And when an unclean spirit goes out of a man, he goes through dry places, seeking rest and finds none. And then he says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when he comes, he finds it empty, swept, and put in order. Then he goes and takes with them seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first. So shall it be with this wicked generation. All right, so a bit of kind of deliverance, or you can call it exorcism, I guess, 101, um, as if I know, right? But, but never cast a spirit out of a person if they don't want it, or they'll be seven times worse. There's a, a strange common denominator here that people will have a demon um, and, a, and a multiple of seven. So, it, you know, they'll have a demon or a multiple of seven demons. That's what it says. So the most demon-possessed guy in the Bible said his name was Legion because there was many of them. A full-strength Roman legion had 7,000, you know, generally 7,000 soldiers. I remember once meeting a lady who said she had many different personalities. She was odd, at least most of the time. And she gave me a list of names for each of her personalities and added them up and there was eight of them. And I realized that was biblical too, right? That the one spirit that left once came back with seven others. <laughs> Weird, right? So I thought so too. Um, I guess she was swept clean once, but not safeguarded by the spirit. And when a person is delivered, they must be filled with the Holy Spirit or things will only get worse. And there's an implication to only cast out a spirit from a willing person or things may get worse. And the secret to deliverance is hunger. A pursuit to be free. Think of an alcoholic. He wants free, but how free does he want it? Jesus can set us free from addictions, uh, but we're, are we just going to go back to them later? He desires us wholeheartedly, and he desires us to turn completely from our sin. And all the exorcisms that Jesus performs, the person ran to him to be delivered. The person was willing. It's such a picture of Jesus. There was addictions and many of those who refused to go to Jesus even during his time because they weren't willing to drop their idols. Jesus will break off every spirit, every demon, every piece of shame, everything that is not of him if you run to him. Run to him now, just like in this scene, just like all these deliverance scenes, and he'll set you free. It's a promise. Those who hunger for righteousness will be filled. So if you you hunger to be set free, he'll free you. 
But if you hunger for more and more of him, then he'll fill you. This filling will keep you protected forever. Receive his fire and you'll never look back. Just ask Jesus. Jesus now. Um, Ask him to set you free. I mean, set me free, Jesus. I never want to go back. Fill me with your spirit. Clean my house and fill it with you and your spirit. Well, I mean, take a pause here, right? Keep praying if this is you. You know, pause the recording. Let God set you free and fill you with his spirit. Next, Jesus' family gets overly concerned about him. For the mothers and fathers out there, you don't want to smother your kids. And you don't want to get overly concerned about them without praying. And once they're the age of accountability, they're adults. And we can't treat them like children. Well, I get the take that's what's going on here. They are listening to lies. And Jesus makes a point. He's not abandoning his mom and his siblings, but he's making a point. That's all. Matthew twelve forty six. While he was still talking to the multitudes, behold, his mother and brother stood outside seeking to speak with him. Then one said to him, Look, your mother and brothers are standing outside seeking to speak to you. But he answered and said to the one who told him, Who is my mother? Who are my brothers? And he stretched out his hand toward his disciples and said, Here are my mother and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So, and further to kind of conclude this entire discussion on demon possession, wickedness, um, I get the take Jesus stares at a Pharisee at this point and completes the entire discussion. He probably focuses on the one with the darkest heart, which somehow Jesus sees through his eyes. Luke eleven thirty three. No one, when he has a lit a lamp, puts it in a secret place or under a basket, but on the lampstand that those who come in may see the light. The lamp of the body is the eye. Therefore, when your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your whole body is full of darkness. Therefore, take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. But then your whole body is full of light. Having no part of the dark, the whole body will be full of light, as when the bright shining of a lamp gives you light. Let's conclude this episode with what just happened. Never again, besides Jerusalem, will Jesus step foot in a synagogue. The Pharisees have accused him of witchery. His teaching will be changing from active and open to concealed and veiled in parables. The Pharisees are not worthy to receive his teaching directly anymore. He calls out the Pharisees for who they really are. They are clearly his enemy, those owners of the sacred text and desecrators of the temple who now own and protect their rights over God's word. They are the gatekeepers of the law, but they use their powers to keep others out instead of inside the kingdom of God. Jesus is furious with them and their distortion of his kingdom, his people, and the faith that his father brings. They deny the Holy Spirit and they lie about the Messiah and they will do everything they can to silence the one who brings salvation, Jesus. So think with me. A demon-possessed Pharisee is now trying to convince everyone Jesus does miracles by the hands of the devil. What? It's absurd and stupid. 
And Jesus not only calls it out for what it is, but compounds on spiritual truths of demon possession and the revelation that this generation, these wicked leaders will meet their demise and their kingdom. Israel will no longer exist in 70 AD, but his kingdom, it will last for thousands of years and the rest of eternity. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Message to Kings. Check out the website, messagetokings.com. Feel free to connect with us at messagetokings at gmail.com.